For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's so good to see you all this morning. I want to welcome those of us who are joining us online. Uh, before I get started, I was just thinking uh, this week, some of us were sitting around talking, uh, just really delighting in, and just, just so proud of this church, so proud of all of you for how you've responded with generosity during this holiday season. One of the ways uh, that you guys did that is we call it big box. We just hand out boxes and you bring them back full of groceries. And, you know, that's gotten more expensive. And uh, we estimated that the way that you guys responded with all the boxes that were turned in, that this congregation, you guys gave somewhere around $20,000 worth of groceries to people facing food insecurity this holiday season. Isn't that awesome? That's an awesome thing. Man, I love that. And I think it's a great example. It's just a way, it's an expression of light invading the darkness. And this is what we've been saying uh, throughout this series. Christmas isn't an escape. It's an invasion. And if you haven't been here, this is your first week here this December. You're like, what does that mean? It sounds like a tagline for some sort of sci-fi Christmas movie, like maybe something like this, which is a real movie, by the way. It's Alien Xmas. But that's not what we're talking about. When we say Christmas isn't an escape, it's an invasion, it begins with this acknowledgement We don't need anybody to make the case for us. We don't need anybody to convince us. We know this world isn't quite right. And that's a bit of an understatement. I mean, in big ways, in big ways, this world is broken and full of hurts. But it doesn't stop there. If we get really honest with ourselves, we we, we don't need somebody to convince us either. You know your story. I know my story. We know that we're not quite right and we get honest with ourselves, we know we got, we got more moments than we even know how to talk about or remember of times when we are morally in the wrong, but it's not just that. It's also this kind of universal experience, human experience of things like shame and anxiety and this need, like we feel like we got to be in control and insecurities and on and on the list goes. This world isn't quite right. We're not quite right. And there is a word, a singular word that biblical writers used all throughout the Bible just to capture and summarize the understanding of that. And that word is darkness. That Christmas is not a time to pretend. The holiday season is not a time to go on a temporary break from or try to escape from. The darkness that we are in and the darkness that's in us, actually, it's much better than that. Christmas is a time to remember that the light has come, crashing in, invading the darkness. The light has come, and it overcomes the darkness. That's why Jesus said this in John 8. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want more of that. I want more light, and I want less darkness. I want it for me, and I want it for you too. But before we really jump in and talk about having this. I want to take a quick minute. Let's talk about this. Let's get honest about ways in which we experience darkness. And there is a way. There is a way in which we are experiencing darkness. It is getting worse. It's not getting better. There is a way that right now we are experiencing darkness, and it's just not going to go away on its own. And the expression, the kind of the experience of darkness that I want us to talk about for a couple of minutes is the rise of loneliness and our culture, and our society, and our country. And there are lots of reasons. There are lots of reasons. There are lots of factors. 
why loneliness is on the rise. And I don't have time to talk about all of those things, but I do want to hit a couple of reasons. They may not be the biggest factors, but I do want to talk about two of them. One of the reasons that there's a rise of loneliness in our country is we are becoming more tribal in harmful ways, but we're becoming less tribal in the healthy ways. And I may be talking about you specifically, but big picture, as a society, as a people, we're becoming, we're becoming less able to happily associate with and be friends with people who see the world differently than us, or people who are different from us. Big picture, just kind of in a big way, maybe not you, but, but in our society, in our culture, as a people, we are becoming dangerously less curious. We are losing our ability and our willingness to try to understand, to try to understand people who are different from us, people who are on the other side of an issue or an ideology from us. Lines of difference have evolved into walls of division. And from my heart, I want to share this with you. Agreement is a pathetic foundation for community and unity. Agreement is a pathetic and an anemic foundation for unity and community. And for followers of Jesus, we know this, right? That our unity, what we experience, it doesn't come from us all agreeing. It comes from us being in Jesus, trusting in Jesus in all kinds of ways that we're different and we see things differently, but we are united by being in Jesus. The unity that we experience is We experience what it's like to be one because of what he has done. And when we cluster together only with people who agree with us, when we only cluster together with people who agree with us, that is a fast track to loneliness. And here's why. Because when you are only with people who agree with you, that means you can never grow, you can never learn, and you can never ask questions. Because if you upset the status quo then you lose the acceptance because it's based on agreement. That is a pathetic, that's a horrible foundation. But as a culture, as a people, we're becoming more like that. We're becoming more tribal in the harmful ways. But we're losing the healthy aspects of tribe. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. The older you are, the more likely it is that you learned a needed life skill from someone who knows you and loves you. And I could be talking about anything from how to bake a turkey to how to change an alternator. The younger you are, the more likely it is you learned a needed skill from YouTube. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not dogging that. I learned how to change the oil in my vehicle from YouTube, and then I had my daughter come and help me do it, right? Where are my girl dads at? Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but this is what it is. This is an unintended consequence. This is an unintended consequence. Instead of learning these things in community and relationship, we learn them individually and alone. We're losing some of the healthy aspects of tribe. There's also a rise of loneliness because we can be connected to everyone without being connected to anyone. A digital connection is a real human experience, and there are real benefits that come with that, and I love that, and I'm grateful for those. And yet, digital connection is a hollow substitute for the real thing. Let me give just one example. Would you be surprised to know would you be surprised to know that there are recent, exa- recent studies that demonstrate a decrease in anxiety for people who attend a religious service in person once a week? 
Just, do, just doing what you're doing right now, if you do it once a week, you have an automatic decrease in anxiety in your life. People were studied, on the, conversely, who attended a religious service once a week, but online only, no decrease in anxiety. And this is not a message against technology or against social media or against live streaming a church service. That's not what it is. But come on, you guys, you guys are savvy. You guys are smart. I bet you know all the facts that I do. There is an epidemic of depression and anxiety among teenage girls right now, and the boys are tracking just behind. Depression, anxiety, and loneliness are becoming normal. And the people who are in the know, the people who study these things, this is what they are telling us. That loneliness is on the rise in teenagers and young adults and people in a lower income bracket. Now, it is true that there is a decrease in the level of loneliness from the spike that we saw in 2020. But across all demographics, the levels of loneliness are still way too high. And an honest look, an honest look at loneliness in America is pushing us to realize that darkness has settled in and it is not going to go away on its own. So the question is, how does Jesus bring light to that darkness? And the nice things that we say in a church service and the wonderful things that we sing about, how does it transition from just that moment we share to light really coming in to the messiness of the darkness in your life and in mine? That's what we're going to talk today as we look at the real, the true story of Christmas so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Luke chapter 1. You can grab one out of the seat back pocket in front of you. If you want to use your phone, do that too. Either way is great. The Bible is divided into two sections. The first one's a little bit bigger than the second. The first one's the Old Testament. Luke is in the second part, the New Testament, and it's the third book. It goes Matthew, Mark, then Luke. And as you're bringing that up on your phone or you're turning to it in a Bible, I want to talk to you about three things that we all need. And when these three things come together, they create a kind of vaccine against loneliness. And the three things I'm talking about are being known, understood, and accepted. And it's great to be known. We need people who recognize us. They're aware when when we walk into the room, they see us, they light up, they know our name. Isn't that great? Like when we're not there, they know us. They're aware of us and they miss us. We need people who know about us. We need people who know our birthday. We need people who know things about us. It's a big deal. That's great. We all need that. But like stalkers know information about us, right? You know info about the people that you Facebook stalk or whatever. This is, this is important. We need this. But it's not enough. And understood, that's the next thing we need. It's not just that we're known. But this is when, this is when people, they just don't know the what that's true about you. They know why it's true. These are the folks in your life, they don't just know about the pieces of the puzzle that make up who you are. They know, they know how those pieces come together and why those pieces fit together the way that they do. These are the people who get you. These are the people who you don't have to explain yourself to. These are the people who can anticipate. They know what's going to make you laugh. They know what's going to make you cry. They can anticipate your needs. We need people like that who get us. And then this is everything. When we are known, and when we're understood, and then we're accepted, that meets a deep-down need that we all have. But it also exposes what might be one of our, maybe our biggest fears. What happens when I'm known, and I'm understood, but I'm not accepted? And the truth is, you take away any one of these three, take away any one of these three, and the darkness of loneliness begins to settle in. 
today as we look at the true story of Christmas. I hope that you're able to see how Jesus brings light to the darkness of loneliness, and he brings it by bringing these three things that we are known, understood, and accepted. And if you've never seen it and the Christmas story before, I think when you see it, you're never going to be able to unsee it. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to pick up in verse 26. So if you are there, let's read along together. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. She was highly what? Yeah. What does that mean? Did God just kind of scan all of Israel and find the young woman who was the best? I, mean, did, did, I don't want to make it weird, but did like, God have his own little pageant up in heaven, kind of looking around, finding out which, who's, who would be the best mama for Jesus? Is that what he did? And she win a contest? Maybe that's how you thought about it. Maybe, maybe you just kind of casually assume, well, it just must mean she's better than all the other people. When I was a kid growing up in church, I felt like that's how it was presented to me. This was originally written in a language called Koine Greek, and highly favored is one word in Koine Greek, and it is a verb form of the word grace. And so what this message actually is, is Mary, you are highly graced, the Lord is with you. And it's helpful for us to know what does grace mean? Grace is undeserved kindness. It's never earned. Grace is undeserved kindness. And I'm not trying to imply that there was something like grossly wrong with Mary. If you take an honest look at Mary, you're going to discover a young woman who is, uh, well, she had gutsy faith. She had backbone. If you take an honest look at Mary, you're going to see a young woman who has high levels of resilience and, and deep theology. I mean, she clears a bar that I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to clear. I'm not, I'm not trying to dog Mary, but I'm just saying she wasn't perfect. And whenever we receive grace, it is by definition undeserved. Now, this is a message to her saying, Mary, you are known, understood, and accepted by God. And for his very own reasons, God saw her, he really got her, and he wanted to be with her. And the message was, you are highly graced, you are highly favored. But it did not feel like a favor to Mary. If you know the story, you're not going to be uh, surprised by what we read next, picking up in verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly what? Troubled. Yeah, this did not feel like good news. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And, and the angels just, you know, just celebrating all this good news. And what did Mary say? She said, how's this going to work? How will this be since I am a virgin? And what is Mary saying? She's like, her statement, her question is this, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you understand who it is you think you know? Like if you really knew me, like if you understood me and you knew what was going on in my life and you understood the kind of choices I do make or don't make with men, you'd know this ain't going to work. It felt like one of these was missing. 
curious. How many of us know? How many of us know what this is like? There's been someone in your relational world, and you just kind of came to this realization, they know me, but they don't really know me. Has anyone ever had that? They know me, but they don't know me. Whenever we come to that realization, whenever we say something like that, what are we acknowledging? We're acknowledging the friction between being known but not understood. What does it feel like? What does it feel like if maybe it's a dear friend, maybe it's a partner? What does it feel like when someone who knows you, they don't get you? Or what does it feel like when you're feeling that pressure that you have to keep part of yourself hidden, part of who you truly are on the low so that you can be accepted? That's a version of loneliness. And that's a version of rejection because it's acceptance based on a misunderstanding. And in a room this size, I know that there are people in this room who have lived this. Maybe some of you are living it right now. You're feeling like you have to keep a true part of who you are hidden. There's a true part of who you are that you feel like you have to keep on the down low because it feels safer to be accepted for a false version of you than to be rejected for the true version of you. Could it be? Could it be that Mary's question, how could it be? Could it be her way of saying back to the angel, wait a second, am I being accepted? Am I being chosen? Am I highly favored and highly graced based on a misunderstanding because you think you know me, but you don't really understand me? This is how the angel responded to that. Picking up in verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. I think the angel, what he does is he flips it back on Mary. In a very direct way, not in an unkind way, but in a very clear way. He's saying, Mary, I think you, you think you're the one who's misunderstood, but you're the one who misunderstands. What God, wants, what God says, it'll never fail. He can do what he wants to do. God did not choose Mary based on her ability. God chose Mary based on his ability. And two times, I hope you've noticed this, two times in this encounter, the angel declared, the Lord is with you. You don't need to be afraid. Twice, you are highly favored. Twice, you are highly graced. I want to talk to all of us. I, I want you to hear this. Do you know? Do you know that your heavenly Father knows you? And he understands you. And he accepts you. And it's not based on your lovability. You know what it's based on? It's his ability to love anyone who he wants to love. And all the things that God wants to do in, with, and for you, it is not based on what you bring to the relationship at all. It is 100% based on what he brings to the relationship. Now, there's another thing that the angel referenced. He he mentioned her relative. Who was her relative that he mentioned? Elizabeth. Now, here's the backstory on Elizabeth. The angel said, even Elizabeth... Your relative is going to have a child in her old age. You know how old she was? Well, I'm not going to guess. That'll get me in trouble. Here's the backstory on Elizabeth. She's Mary's relative. She's much older than Mary. 
She's married to a man who's a priest, and that man's name is Zechariah. And unfortunately, they'd never been able to have kids. And they're at the age where, where, where all of their friends would have said, you've got no business trying to be a parent. Don't even try. It's just never going to happen. But God did what God does, and he miraculously intervened and made it possible. And wouldn't you know it, Elizabeth got preggers. And every baby is special, but her baby would grow up to be John the Baptist, the one who God chose to make people ready for Jesus. And I hope you're going to let yourself see it. I really do. I hope you'll let yourself see it, how this angel came to, came to Mary with a double-barreled message of being highly graced. God is with you. He is with you and he is for you. And that's amazing and that's everything. But then there's something else in it too. The angel said, God has given you a ride-or-die partner in this. There is somebody else who knows you and who can understand what you're going through in a way that nobody else can understand. You are not alone. And here's an observation that I have. It was after. It was after being told there's somebody who knows you and who can understand who's in this with you that Mary was able to say this. In verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. It was after. It was after she was told, listen, you've got somebody who's in this with you who understands you, that she was able to go, whatever God wants to do, I'm in. And this is what I find really fascinating. I'm, I'm fascinated by who the angel didn't talk about. Mary is... She's engaged, right, to old Joseph. She's, and so she's thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pregnant now. He's going to find out that I'm pregnant. He's going to break up with me. And, and engagement was so serious at that time to break up. It was literally a divorce. And the angel could have said, listen, I'm going to go visit Joseph too, and I'm going to let him know that everything's okay. He's going to be so cool with this. But he didn't do that. Why? I have no explanation. I have no idea why. But I have this observation. It was after being told there's somebody who knows you. They're going through something similar to what you're going through and they can understand you better than anybody else on this planet and they're going to have your back. That's when Mary was able to say, I am in for whatever God wants to do. It was after that that she had this amazing expression of faith. I had a professor in college. His name was Dr. Jerry Windsor. He used to say this, God's love often comes with human fingerprints. That God loves, he does this on purpose. God loves to convince us and reassure us that he is with us and for us through other people. God loves to use other people to convince us and to reassure us that he knows us, that he understands us, and that he accepts us. I want you to think about these three things, how God intentionally wired us and designed us that we need these things, and see if you can see the three of them play out and what we're going to continue to read. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39, it says this, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. She couldn't wait. She couldn't wait to go see her relative Elizabeth. When Elizabeth, check this out, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Can you see these three things? Elizabeth knew her. And Elizabeth, in a way that nobody else on the planet could, understood exactly what was going on with Mary. And she celebrated her. She delighted in her. She accepted her. She embraced her. And what we see in this moment, what we see in this moment, it's saturated with the supernatural work of God. Even, even Elizabeth's baby, John, still in utero, responded and reacted with joy over the presence of Mary and Jesus who was in her womb. Woman to woman, unborn baby to unborn baby, God was orchestrating love and joy and delight, bringing light into what easily could have felt like darkness. So, I want to ask. This is a question that I hope that you haven't experienced it, and yet I know a lot of us have. How many of us know, know what it's like to be known by others, to be misunderstood, and then rejected? Has anybody ever experienced that? You were known, misunderstood, and rejected. A few of us. What is it like in those moments where you are misunderstood and rejected that there's somebody in your life who knows you, who gets you, who understands you and accepts you in the middle of that. That is powerful. That changes everything. That's a big part of Mary's story. Mary was known. She lived in a, she lived in a village where people would have known her and known her family. Do you think the people in her village was like, Mary, God has done good stuff for you. Woohoo! Do you think that's what they were saying? Was she known and understood or was she known and misunderstood? What do you think people were saying about her, this, this woman who's not married yet and now she's pregnant? We're not going to say out loud in a church service the kind of things that people were saying about her, but you know what it would be. Think about how powerful it was to have somebody in her life say, I know, I get it, I know, I understand, and I've got your back, I'm with you. It was after that moment, it was after that moment that Mary did this. We read about it. In verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm and scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, what I read is not just a statement. It is a, it's a song that Mary's saying. It's called the Magnificat. And I'm not going to try to sing this, but it was a song. And for those of you who love Christmas music and you love the Christmas song, Mary, did you know? Obviously she knew. She knew what was up. And this song that she sang, that she wrote, that she performed, she was inspired by God. 
And it was preserved and included in Scripture for us. And Mary at this time in her life, she's probably a teenage girl, and this is not some teenage girl's dainty pop song, is it? This is full of rich theology. It is a prophetic worship song sung by a lioness. And we can make all kinds of observations about what is in the song. But what I want to do is make an observation about when it was sung. Would you write this down? Mary didn't sing until after she was seen by Elizabeth. In the story, it was after someone else knew her, understood her, accepted her, that this song of praise and joy came out. And this is just the way God is. This is how God intentionally wired and made people. God loves to use other people to convince us and reassure us that he is with us, that he is for us, that he loves us. And God intentionally, on purpose, uses people to help draw out our response of worship and love back to him. I don't know if you know who this guy is. Henry Cloud is a godly man. He's a clinical psychologist, a leadership expert, uh, an author. I would encourage you to read anything that Henry Cloud has ever written. I think you just find it's beneficial to your life, and I think that it'll help you grow as a follower of Jesus. But I want to share with you one thing that Henry Cloud wrote. He says, one of my favorite studies was done years ago with monkeys measuring the effects of relationships on cortisol levels in the brain. Cortisol is a hormone associated with high levels of stress. And this particular experiment, a monkey was put in a cage and exposed to a high level of psychological stress, including loud noises and flashing lights. They pretty much scared him to death. When the monkey was totally terrified, the scientists took a baseline measure of stress hormone levels in the monkey's brain as it was exposed to those stressors. Next, the researchers introduced one change into the experiment. They opened the door and they put in a buddy, another monkey, into the cage. That was it. They exposed the monkeys to the same loud noises and flashing lights and then took another measure of stress hormones. You want to know what the result was? The level of stress hormones in the brain had dropped in half. The lone monkey was only half as good at handling stress as the pair was together. So my question for you guys is this. Who's your monkey? (laughs) A couple of months ago, I I shared that with our staff. And the reason I shared it with them is I just kind of ended that by saying to them, I just want you guys to know I want to be a monkey in the cage with you. That's it. The next day, I came into my office, and I found this on my desk. No note. Just this little guy right here. (laughs) Somebody left this on my desk. This is a way to say, I'm your monkey, too. I'm your monkey, too. I really do want you to write this down. Elizabeth was Mary's monkey. (laughs) And now that's going to go down as the strangest sermon fill in the blank in the history of Autumn Ridge. But she was. Who's your monkey? Who's with you? Who knows you, understands you, and accepts you? Who has your back? Do you know? Do you know that you need it? And whose monkey is you? Or whose monkey are you? I mean, some of you need to tell somebody. Maybe you need to even turn and tell them right now. I'm your monkey. But God designed us this way. We need people in our life. God, this is God's plan. We need people in our life to reinforce and to reassure and to communicate to us. He is with us and he is for us. And that we are loved and we are not alone. And you know what? Other people need that from us too. Other people need you to be God's conduit of love and acceptance to them. 
Last night, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Last night, I, I got an email uh, from somebody who was in the Saturday night service, and this is just part of what she sent to me. She said, I'm new to believing that Jesus knows me better than I know myself and accepts me. Then it hit me. Autumn Ridge is where I'm known and accepted. And then I was thinking, I don't have a monkey to go through this, this late in life relationship with Jesus' journey that I'm on. And then it hit me. God led me to a whole church full of monkeys. (laughs) Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. What we're doing right now is important. When we gather together in our small groups, it's important. When you get together on your ministry team, it's important. I mean, this is God's stuff happening. And it's not just the study you're going through or the praying together or the work that you do together. All of that is, is really important, but God is using that. God is using the other people to communicate to you, I love you, I am with you, and I am for you. And God wants to use you to communicate and to reassure to other people, I love you, I am with you, and I am for you. There's something powerful going on. A few minutes ago, when we read that Mary was highly favored, what I didn't tell you is that there are only two people in the New Testament that that specific phrase is described of. There are only two people in all of the New Testament who are described as being highly favored by God. The first is Mary. Do you know who the second person is? It's you. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote this, For God chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. and love, he predestined us for the adoption of sonship. Before any of us were ever born, God just decided for all of those people who trust in and follow Jesus, I'm going to make them holy, I'm going to make them blameless, I'm going to embrace them as adopted sons in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, And the one he loves. In Koine Greek, this right here, it is the same word. It's the the same word. It's a verb form of grace meaning highly favored, highly graced. If you are in Christ, if you trust in Christ, you are highly graced. You are highly favored by God. And he brings you in and adopts you as a very son. Now, ladies, do not feel left out by this. When you read that, you should feel fully honored as an equal. Because being an adopted son is not about gender. It's a statement of status. And this is what that means. You are a full heir with Jesus to God's kingdom. That's what it means to be an adopted son. And this is true because of what Jesus has done for us. Throughout this series, throughout this December, we've been saying this. This is what the metaphor of light means, coming into the darkness. It means that God is with us and God is for us. He has given us his very self through Jesus. He's also given us his family. God is with us and God is for us. And if we are in Christ, we should be with and for each other too. Do you know how much you are loved? Do you know? Do you understand? Do you accept just how loved you are? I want to close by reading the verse that was in the bumper, the verse that was probably the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never perish, 
but have eternal life. Whenever you read that, whenever you hear that verse, whenever you see some crazy guy at a football game with it on a poster, whenever it crosses your mind, I want to invite you to think about John 3.16 in this way, what it means that God loves you. God blew the budget on you and he doesn't regret the bill. He blew the budget on you. And he does not regret the bill in Christ. If you trust in him, you are highly graced. You are highly graced and you are highly favored. There is no good reason at all. There is no good reason at all that any of us should ever sit in the darkness of loneliness again. God is with you and God is for you. And we are with and we are for each other because we are in him. Would you remember that and be encouraged by that? And for those of us in the room, you've been coming and you've kind of been evaluating. You're not a Jesus follower, but you've been thinking about it. You've been trying to figure all this out. What could stop you today from trusting in Jesus? What could stop you today from receiving this incredible gift, this love and this grace that he wants to extend to you? There is no better day than today than just to say to Jesus in prayer from where you're at, I know I'm in the darkness. I know that I'm not the best leader of my life. I know I've got all kinds of ways that I'm just kind of morally in the wrong and there's darkness in me. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross as a way to cover all of that. I believe that you rose from the dead. I want to give my life and my allegiance to you and I follow you. Would you pray that? Would you make that decision today? What could talk you out of that? And so for those of us who maybe that was a decision we made a long time ago, or that's a decision that we need to make right now, I want to pray that all of us would respond to with joy and rest and faith in what God is offering us in Jesus. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the tremendous gift of light and life that you bring and that we have been given everything in Jesus. Hey God, for those in the room right now who are considering, they're wondering, is today the day that they walk across the line of faith? God, I want to pray for any person that they would just say to Jesus, I love you, I know I'm a sinner, I believe you died for me and that you rose from the dead. I give you my allegiance and I follow you. God, for all of those of us in the room who we have done that maybe a long time ago, God, would we remember and be encouraged just by how close you are to us, that you know us and understand us and accept us. And now that we are, we are with you and you are for us, but we are with and for each other, God, may your love and joy shine like a brilliant light here. And we pray and we thank you for all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.